Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Please welcome Jonathan Conrath. Wow. Well, bless you. It's wonderful to be with you. And uh, it's been such a joy to be back in Manchester. There's so much, if I can put it this way, pregnancy in the spirit over the city of what God wants to do here. And uh, so it's very encouraging to be with you. And, you know, you're part of that. You could, be, could have been born anywhere. You could have been living anywhere. Acts tells us, actually, around Acts 26, tells us that, that actually even the places where we were born and the places of, our, of where we live was determined by God. And so that means actually that right where you are, and the very fact you're here and, and that you're a member of this church, you know, God has set people in the body just as he chose. And so you're actually here by divine appointment, by the purpose of God. It's important to know that and remember that as the Lord has called us to be fruitful where we are and not always have our eyes on the end of the earth. The Bible says he who has his eyes on the end of the earth is, the fool, is a fool. And what he's actually talking about is, uh, you know, the fact that we need to start bearing fruit right where we are and be fruitful as, as well as, yes, we're goers to the nations. Um, but, you know, we need to start bearing fruit right where we are. And I, I just have such a sense of excitement about what the Lord is going to do and what he's going to do in Ivy, what he is doing in Ivy. Amen. I believe that this statement is so, um, you know, is so spot on for this season and for what the Lord is doing. In many ways, it, it's, a, uh, it, it's a statement of recovery. It's a statement of recovery. It's what the church always should be. It's not really something new. It's something about what we're all meant to be. And when we say supernatural, of course, it's important that we define it as, uh, you know, as Anthony was just doing, because the word supernatural out there can mean anything today. You know, there's, there's demons in the supernatural realm. There's principalities, of course, there's angels. And, of course, there's the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we're really talking about is this is why this is so good that it's defined that it's a supernatural community. It's all about Jesus. What we're really talking about is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit operating in the church and through the church. You know, that Jesus would be made known authentically to the world. It's, it's not really my, my main message. I, I have a word that, that the Lord gave me before I came here uh, that I need to deliver tonight very specifically. It's a word of promise and encouragement to you. Um, but do you know, as the guys brought the cross up here, I can't resist this. Because, you know, um, Paul the Apostle talks about this. So when you think about Paul and his brilliant learning, he's a brilliant man. Even the the Bible tells us that that even the Romans knew how brilliant he was intellectually. He stands before Governor Felix. Governor Felix, when Paul begins to speak to him about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he suddenly shouts out to him and says, Paul, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. So he, he, even as a man who was outside of Israel, he recognized that Paul was one of the most brilliant minds of his day. And yet Paul, when he goes to Corinth, that was one of the most brilliant places of its day intellectually. It's a time when the, the great Greek philosophers, Aristotle, Plato and others like that were about. Athens and Corinth and all of those places. Corinth had loads of crazy problems as we know, and uh, temple prostitution and all kinds of horrendous stuff that they were into. But, you know, in the middle of all that, Paul makes a statement where he says this. He says, the message of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. 
And one of the things that he, he, he makes this statement about the fact is God is, bring to no, is bringing to nothing the powers of this age. He said he's, uh, you know, he, Paul talks about making a deliberate choice that when he came to Corinth, he said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He could have come easily and taken on the philosophers. He could have come on easily and, and, and lent upon his intellectual powers. But instead of that, he made a deliberate choice to preach really simply. He preached the cross. And that's what he went for. And he stresses to them because the message of the cross is the power of God. And so he says, I don't want your faith to be in the wisdom of men, but I want it to be in the power of God. In the final analysis, what happened at the cross, this divine exchange, as Derek Prince used to call it, where Christ became sin with our sinfulness, that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. That he bore our sickness and disease, that we might be healed by his stripes. That he bore our curse, that we may know the blessings of Abraham. That he bore our rejection, that we may know his acceptance in the beloved. That actually he took our poverty, that we may know his riches, his abundant provision. That he, 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 took, all, he took our shame, that we may know his glory. He took our death that we may have eternal life. All of these things that Jesus took away from us, taking it upon himself as if he was the guilty one, yet he was perfectly innocent. But he was the substitute for us, paying the penalty for the sins that you and I have committed. I love the way the Living Bible puts it. God took all of our wickedness and poured it into Christ and took all of his goodness and poured it into us. So it's like, a, it's like God had a dilemma in the cross. But God being God, it wasn't a dilemma, of course, to him. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Paul described that the message of the cross as the wisdom of God. That the principalities and powers didn't understand it. If they really understood it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. And here was the issue. God is so holy, he has to punish sin. If God doesn't punish sin, then God can't be trusted. I just say it's really important that we understand that. God does not forgive sin just because he's a loving, kind guy. It's really important to understand that. Can you just imagine if there was a multiple rapist and murderer who, got, who was going around Manchester committing horrific crimes and then he gets caught by the police and they take him before the court. He stands before the magistrate and, you know, and he stands before the, the chief justice and, and as all, the, all, all of the things that he has done is read out in court there. Then, you know, finally the, the judge looks down on him and says to him, you've been a very naughty boy. Well, I'm, de I'm deciding today that my punishment is this. Look, I, I'm, I'm just warning you right now that don't you ever do this again. I'm letting you off with three months probation. But if I find you back in this court again, you beware. You know what's going to happen, don't you? There'd be a public outcry. Why would there be a public outcry? Because everybody knows that the punishment doesn't fit the crime. No one would trust the judiciary. No one would trust the government. Everybody would feel unsafe. But the reality is that we've all sinned and sin demands a penalty. God is holy and just and righteous. If God does not, does not punish sin, then God cannot be trusted and God is not holy. So God has to punish sin. But he loves us so much, he didn't want us to pay the penalty for what we've done wrong. So how could he forgive our sins without contradicting his moral righteousness? The answer is found in the cross in which the Father and the Son made a covenant together. Actually, Hebrews 13.20 says he was raised from the dead by the blood of the everlasting covenant. Because his blood was the price of sin. And this, that's why Romans 3.23-26 says God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so God fully inflicted his total, the full extent of his righteous God, righteous wrath and judgment against our sin on his own son, Jesus Christ, so that everyone who believed in him would be given mercy.
because judgment had been fully satiated, fully paid out by Jesus. God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 says, reconciling the world to himself. God set the price of sin and met the price of sin. I sometimes think to myself, if I was God setting the price of sin, knowing that I would be the one who would pay it in order to redeem the people who had rebelled against me, I think I would have made the penalty a little bit lighter. But he made it so deep and so painful that you and I would never have a question that God loves us. He loves you and he loves me. Not because we're necessarily lovable, but he is love. And his judgment is righteous. Everything about God is good. Even his judgment is righteous and true and good. And do you know, the Bible teaches us that there's even there's judgment still in this world. There's wrath in this world. The Bible says that those who believe in the Son come out from under the wrath of God and come into his mercy, come into grace. But those who don't believe in the, in the Son remain under his wrath. That's quite a thought, isn't it? So it's there provisionally, but it's not automatic. No one automatically is under the grace of God. We come under the grace of God in Christ. And this is so, I, I believe one of the things that God is doing in his church in the UK right now is he's, he's wanting to waken us up. He's, he's seeking to waken the church up to fresh confidence in England. In England, the British church that used to be one of the greatest missionary sending nations in the world. He is seeking to reawaken our hearts to the greatness of the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, a church that was birthed in the miraculous, but now have tried to go back under the security for them in their thinking of the law, of the law of Moses, he actually says to them in Galatians 3, 1 to 6, he says, Who has bewitched you? Literally, who's cast a spell on you? That you would not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was graphically portrayed as crucified. You know, words create a picture, don't they? If I say car, I don't know what car you'd think about, but you suddenly see a picture of a car in your mind. If I say red car, then you also see a picture of a red car. If I say red Ford Fiesta car, you suddenly see a Ford Fiesta. Words create pictures. And Paul said, I preached the cross to you. And what Jesus did for us on that cross, so graphically that you could see it. And your faith is, is what I want to know is this, he says, the one who works miracles among you, the one who worked the miracles among you, the one who supplies the Spirit to you, does he do it because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? What did they hear? The graphically presented message of the cross that he says released the power of the Spirit and miracles. Brother and sisters, can I just say that is so, so key to New Testament understanding of the release of God's power in his church. It's why in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, we have great confidence. We are always confident. Because he says the veil is removed in Christ. He says, but, but there's no transformation until the veil is removed, but the veil is there by the law. I can't live up to this. And so I'm constantly feeling like I've got to live up to this, these commandments in order to be accepted before God. And, and therefore I can't be healed because I haven't measured up to this and I haven't measured up to that. But what Paul says is actually Christ fulfilled the law and the veil was rent in two. The veil being his own flesh rent in two so that we could come into the presence of God where there's nothing hindering us from receiving him because his presence that was behind the Holy of Holies has now come out to be fully available to everyone who would call on the name of the Lord because the blood of Jesus has satisfied the righteousness of God. That's awesome. But there are many places where actually the cross is not preached. Grace is not preached. New covenant understanding is the gift of righteousness, the abundance of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's new covenant preaching. But so often what you hear is law. You have to be so careful what, what we're preaching and what you're believing. It's true.
true. You know, I didn't intend to say this, but let me just throw something out here. <laughs> For example, when people start saying, if you don't tithe, you come under a curse, that's not new covenant teaching. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse is only applicable where the law is standing. But the law has been fulfilled in Christ and he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Malachi, from that perspective, as his job as an Old Testament prophet, his job was to return the people to their covenant with God, the old covenant that they have with God, the law of Moses, and to proclaim the coming kingdom. But the law of Moses was satisfied in the, in the death of Jesus, in his life, in his righteousness, and therefore the curse can no longer be of the law can no longer be applied to the believer in Christ. There is no curse of the law for the believer in Christ. I love the song we sang earlier. It's a beautiful one. It's all over the church in the New Testament. Jesus did not atone for our curses. That's not biblical. He atoned for our sins. And because he atoned for our sins, the curse was broken. But it's not accurate biblically. Wonderful song though it is. It's important that we understand that. If sin wasn't atoned for, well then the curse would still be applicable. But you and I are not under curses. We're a blessed people. We're a redeemed people. We've been made righteous. So much stuff that goes out there that the enemy can keep the church really busy on. Constantly repenting for the sins of our forefathers. Going over patches of land. Believing that unless we renounce X, Y, and Z that happened there a thousand years ago, you know, or 300 years ago, that unless we deal with that, well, God can't move in that place. Can you please give me a new covenant for that? You won't find it anywhere in the New Testament. Jesus never told his disciples to do that. He never did that. But some people are caught up trying to sort all of that out. But what about the sin that Harry is committing with Sally down the road tonight? Do we have to repent of that too? I don't mean to offend anybody, but you won't find it in the New Testament. What you find is they went out preaching everywhere, preaching the gospel. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Now, therefore, go. Get the message of the kingdom out there. The kingdom has come. It's not yet here in fullness, but it's here in the power of the Spirit. He says, you've got the authority. Now proclaim the cross. I tell you what, all over the world and so far 54 nations of the world for me, sometimes in places where in places where there's been absolutely witchcraft riddled, all kinds of religions, all kinds of demonic stuff going on there. But the first message I always preach in every gospel campaign is the power of the cross because there is not a demon or a principality anywhere that can withstand the power of the cross of Christ. Amen. Anyway, I didn't intend to preach that, but I just want to say to you, you know, um, we need to return to preaching the power of the cross. If we want more miracles, Derek Prince used to say the two high points of New Testament theology are the cross of Christ and the return of Jesus, and we don't hear enough about both in the church. He said, tragically, the church's window is filled with so much seven steps to this you know, the three steps of successful this, la, 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 la. He said, we've obscured the cross of Christ. And Paul said that he was concerned for the Corinthians that they would miss, they had missed the simplicity that is in Christ. He tried to take them back to the cross, back to the power of what Jesus accomplished there for us. We need to be regularly proclaiming it and declaring it. The Spirit always confirms the message, the good message, the good news of the cross of Christ in his death and his resurrection. There's a key for power there, for the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. I could tell by the silence of some that that's, uh, I don't know whether that's popular, but hey, we don't preach to be popular, do we? Ezekiel 37. I just want to share this word very briefly with you, and, and really... Most of us know it. How many of you know the account of Ezekiel 37? I guess most of us know it. But it was just, it was on my heart uh, when I was praying for you. And um, it's a wonderful uh, prophetic picture. It's really a prophetic picture about Israel. And um, 
But nonetheless, here we are, and uh, I felt the Holy Spirit just applying it to something in my heart. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, it's Ezekiel 37, about, it's about dry bones living. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to, to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, how many of us know that when God asks you a question like that, it's not because he needs to know the answer. <laughs> but he's actually, he's asking us for a response of faith. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a response of faith from us. Can these bones live? Ezekiel re responded very wisely, O oh Lord God, you know. <laughs> Again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So what happens here is Ezekiel is a prophet of God. In order to bring change, he doesn't agree with the present circumstance. Do you notice that? Instead, he speaks the word of the Lord into the present circumstance to bring change. This is a place where clearly there has been life, but now there's death. And there's a leftover remnant of what was, but it's not living. And so he takes him in there and he says, now speak a word that's going to change the situation. And can I say, it's really important that we agree with what heaven declares over us, not with what the circumstances around us say. It's very easy, but I've learned through the years when it comes to people believing God for miracles in the United Kingdom, it, it's very dangerous when we start saying and asking the old questions that so many people say, well, you know, well, why don't we see as many miracles in England as we see in Africa or in South America? And the more people agree with that statement, the more they declare that, the more they enforce a demonic principality called unbelief in our nation. They give authority. The one group of people in the United Kingdom that have the authority in the Spirit to shift things and to change things, coming into agreement with the wrong spiritual powers. To see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we must agree with Him. We must declare what God says. And start believing what he says. Someone has to, somewhere. It has to begin somewhere. Jesus is looking in Manchester today and looking in Ivy and he's looking saying, is there a company of people there who will agree with me that the kingdom of heaven is here? As he told us to proclaim and then demonstrate it. Amen. Glory to God. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came up on them and the skin covered them over but there was no breath in them so he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the Lord God come from the four winds O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army amen Guys, I, I just want to say to you, I, I believe uh, with all of my heart that God, with this new fresh commissioning, as it were, with this restorative word, it is a restorative word, but it's also a commissioning word, that actually, that in this, the Lord is raising up a great army. Well, look, I don't know if I've got to say amen to my own preaching, but I'm just going to say to you... <laughs> God is raising up a great army in ivy. And may I say, he is, 
I, I, if I just dare say, I'm, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to say straight out, you know, you can have me back or not. But, but you know, I'm just going straight, to say straight out what I feel. I feel this is a time of recommissioning. I feel it is a time of reawakening. I feel it's a time of restoration. It's a time of entering into fulfillment. It's a fresh breath of heaven to come on you. It's not enough for the structure to be in place and the bones, as it were, the strategy to be in place. It's when the breath comes in that the army stands up on its feet and goes into the land. And God is breathing afresh in you. And that's what this word is all about. The Spirit of God is, is coming afresh upon you to raise up again and commission again a great army through Ivy. And if you're from some other church here in Manchester and it rings true in your own heart for you too, well, take it for yourself too in Jesus' name. God is raising up a great army here. And part of that, when we talk about bones coming to bone and all of that, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you are aware of this. I can't say that it was something that I, uh, I knew previously, but there's a great American Bible teacher who is recognized in America amongst pretty much all denominations as being the greatest authority in the Greek language over in uh, America. And his name is Rick Renner. Now, Rick Renner, he's not just a theologian, he's also uh, an apostle, and he's planted a great church called Good News Church in Moscow that's planted out 300 other churches. He's lots of signs and what. This is a genuine article, but he's brilliant with Greek. And he makes the point, he says, you know, the word to equip the church, Ephesians 4, because so much of what this is all about of what God is wanting to do through you as a people and through his church here is, is, this, is this whole thing of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So the body grows by what every joint supplies. Amen? And that means disciples who make disciples. And I know you guys are big into that. That's really important. I, in, I, I'm in and out of so many different denominations and movements and churches. And I, I find a lot of times, a lot of church leaders, they're all good guys. And they all want to see God move in power. And they all want to see increase and growth. And sometimes when they don't see it, they become frustrated. So they look for another strategy and another structure. And spend a lot of time moving the furniture around. But the increase comes from God. Now, there's some structures that work better than others. But the structure never produces life. The life is in the presence of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God. The wine is not the wineskin, is it? It's the wine is the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important that we seek the face of God and, and go after his presence and let the spirit have his way and build our faith and Return to those PowerPoints that the New Testament teaches of the, of the finished work of Christ and new covenant teaching and reality and, uh, and moving with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So all of this is fundamental. What's really interesting is when in Ephesians 4 it talks about the fivefold ministry or fourfold, depending what you believe uh, about it. This is the thing is it says that those ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And the word equipping, Rick Renner makes this amazing statement about it that I'd never heard anywhere else, but because he's so brilliant in Greek, he makes the same. He says, the word to equip came from the Greek medical world and it meant to set a bone. To set a bone. That's a brilliant picture of the fivefold ministry. Because what it means is it, fivefold ministries are there to help people, believers in the church, find their place. To get them healed up and then released to function. Can we get those three things? It's a brilliant image of the fivefold ministry. Helping believers, the saints, you know, we're all saints here. Amen. <laughs> to help the saints, the set apart ones, the holy ones, that's us, made holy by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. To help us to find our place to function in the body of Christ, to get healed up, made whole, and released to function in the gifts and calling of God in our lives. That's what the fivefold ministry is about. And so God is wanting to do that in a significant way in this place. I just felt like the Lord is um, he's healing some folks up here of stuff.
He's wanting to bring a renewal of thinking to be a, a real bunch of believing believers. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Believing believers. It just kind of, I, I, I just believe it. I'm just, those who are excited, not cynical, but excited. Amen. Stirred up and believing. Yes. So actually we are more surprised if something doesn't happen than, than when it does. That's the kind of people the Lord is raising up here. He's wanting to stir up old dreams. As I was, I've never been to Ivy before this weekend, so everything I'm saying to you is just, is just what was dropped into my heart when I was praying for you. But I had a sense that there are old dreams, old visions that exist here in the hearts of people and in the hearts of leadership that are actually about something a lot bigger than what you're currently walking in. And I felt that the Spirit was breathing on you to stir up those dreams again. I just do. So I just submit it to you. I saw fires around Manchester. Equipped saints bringing the gospel in the power of the Spirit across the city. Gathered and sent communities of on-fire believers that were born out of power encounters with the Holy Spirit and power evangelism. I felt it, you know, 2 Timothy. Shall we just turn to a couple of scriptures here? I'd, I'd like just to share with us very briefly and put them in their context. Um, if we go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, both of these are from Paul's letters to Timothy. I love those letters. They're written right at the end of Paul's life. And you know, I don't know about you, but I love to hear teaching and testimony and wisdom from leaders at the end of their lives. When they look back and when they say, I would have done that and that differently. <laughs> this is what I've really learned. This is what I wish I would have done. And I spent far too much time trying to be right about that, 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 and that, and to please that, 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 and that. I wish I would have just done what Jesus told me to do rather than try and fit in with everybody else's dreams. And just done what Jesus told me to do. And just, you know. But anyway, here's the thing. But I love to hear those mature ministries. Love the passion of youth. But I love the maturity of men of God and women of God who have gone the miles. But look, here we are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. And if I can just put it into its historical context... Paul is writing at, at, at the end of his life when he's waiting really for the Romans to decide what they're going to do with him. And of course they eventually did cut off his head. But the fact of the matter is he's writing to Timothy in his last days as, his, as one of his spiritual sons, one of the closest to him. And as he writes to him, Nero has come to the throne historically. And like all poor leaders, when things are going wrong at home, he, he needs to find someone to blame. And he blames Christians. And he is burning Christians up. He's covering them with oil and he's lighting them up and he's using them to light up his, his garden parties. He's sending them to the lions. He's killing them like, like Christians are going out of fashion. And in the middle of all of that, history records that Timothy, who was sent by Paul to, to lead the church in Ephesus, it was one of the largest churches in the world at the time, and in the middle of all of this horror that is going on and the pressure. Can you imagine being a church leader under all of that pressure? And in the middle of all of that pressure and, and you know where they're killing Christians because they cannot say Caesar is Lord. And so in the midst of all of that, Christians are, many Christians are jumping ship and leaving church because it's too costly and they're trying to save their own skin. And in the middle of that, people are also preaching heresies to try and make it easier for the people to follow Christ so it doesn't, it's not so costly. Rings a few bells of what we're starting to experience. We're on the edges of in the UK. I honestly think we are going into some times like that, but I also think we're going into a time of great revival and move of the Spirit. 
And I think the revival is out there. But here's the thing is, is that so we've got to go. Before there's a come, there always has to be a go. And so the equipping of the saints is really, really, really important right now. I, I just, I so, so, so sense it in my spirit. Because there's going to be multiple house churches. There will be. I just, I sense that in my heart. I just, you know, I just, I submit it to you, but it's what I see coming. And some of that will be because there'll be pressure that will come. From all kinds of sources. But I just want to say to you, that means that we need to equip the saints. We really need to equip the saints. And so that everybody, so that Believers are followers and leaders, disciples who make disciples. Amen? Absolutely fundamental. So here's the context. And in the middle of it all, with all of this pressure on him, on Timothy, Paul then speaks to Timothy and he commands Timothy to command those who are preaching heresies my goodness, you know, here's a little thing that, again, it's from Rick Renner, but it's, this is so needed in, our, in the church today in the UK. Do you know that the word heresy comes from the Greek phrase to have an opinion? To have an opinion. And you know, the Bible is its own best interpreter. My opinions will die with me. They're not worth much. I don't mean to offend you, neither are yours. What really matters is what does God say? What does God say? He's the one we're going to have to give an account to one day. His is the word that will endure forever. So we want to build on, we want to be the forever generation, those who live for the will of God. Those who live for what God says. It's truth that is the freeing agent. So many believers are not living in freedom because they don't live in truth. But they live in, you know, well, this preacher said that and that preacher said that. But ultimately, what does the Word of God say? What does the Scripture say? We need to be a people who are going back to the Scriptures, back to the cross, back to the Bible, back to the power of the Spirit, back to first things, back to our first love. Amen. These are the ancient paths. These are the things that have stood the test of time. These are the things that will take us right through to the end. When he comes, let it be quickly, Lord. But this is what he says. When he commands these people, he tells Timothy to command them to stop preaching heresies. He then says this, and, and, and what's really interesting is you do get the idea when Paul writes to Timothy that Timothy sometimes... You know, maybe it's a bit of a reflection of his name. Sometimes there's a bit of a problem with timidity. He takes a bit of wine for his stomach's sake. It's a command, of course. He says, take a little bit of wine. A little bit of wine. <laughs> take a little bit of wine. He said, for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. He writes this to Timothy. You get the kind of sense that Timothy sometimes gets a little bit anxious, perhaps. Sometimes maybe some of the stress of leadership. And Paul's addressing all of this, but he encourages him to stand strong and to be bold and like a soldier and, and a farmer and an athlete. And you get all of these kind of things where he teaches him. But in the middle of all this, he says this, which is so beautiful. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, by what? By the prophecies, you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. Having faith and a good conscience. How many of you know it's hard to really live in life-giving, miracle-producing faith in your prayer life when you have a troubled conscience? Anybody? It's true. 1 John 3 says it. It's 20, 21. So we need to keep our conscience clear. Paul said he strove to keep his conscience clear before, before God and men. 
And so the thing is, is that he then says this, having faith in a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's powerful stuff. What is he saying to Timothy? He said, amidst all of the pressure and these instructions he gives them to hold fast, to steer a straight course, to preach the truth and to command others to stop going into heresy, into error, just because it feels easier. He says, hold fast, stay true, both in character, in conduct and in your convictions, in the truth of the Word of God. And he says, do this. He says, remembering the prophecies. This command I give to you. He says, in the light of the prophecies that were spoken over you. In other words, he says this, Timothy, I know your natural temperament. I know how your emotions feel. I know the pressure that you feel. But I was there when the prophetic word was spoken over your life. When you were commissioned, when you were called, when you were sent, when you were set apart for God's purpose and and destiny and calling on your life. I was there and I want to remind you of who you are. Timothy, stand up. He says, you are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. Ivy, I want to say to you, people of God in Ivy Church, remember who you are. People of God, saints of God, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You can, can do all things through Christ. You're believers. You're not doubters. You're believing believers. You're those through which he will do signs and wonders. You're those through which he's called to be ambassadors who go, who evangelize, who make disciples, who start churches, who heal the sick, who deliver captives, who cast out demons, who expect the kingdom to come. Remember who you are. You're not called to be the happy medium. You're called to be the radical world changers. By the way, the word radical doesn't mean extreme. The word actually in English literally means to return to the root. The tragedy is when churches and when believers settle down on the comfortable middle ground. When people really return to the root of what New Testament Christianity is, what it means to authentically follow Jesus and minister like Jesus and live like Jesus, they seem extreme. But the fact is, they're the normal ones. They're the normal ones. The ones who are in comfortable, cozy Christianity are subnormal. It's not New Testament Christianity, and it's not following Jesus. The real Jesus is a lot more radical than that. I cannot, for the life of me, understand a bored Christian. I've never understood that. How can a Christian be bored? They can't be following Christ. They must be living for the world, looking for something to excite them, something to do. I, you know, I, I, I hear some people write about the town that they live in, or this. just, oh, it's a boring place. I think, well, why don't you light it up with the gospel then? <laughs> Why don't you bring the power of Jesus to help people? Why don't you heal the sick? Why don't you go out doing what Jesus did? You'll stop being bored overnight. What do you mean? You're looking for leisure things that the world offers you in order? Is that what you're living for, the next thing to go and do at the weekend? Is that all you're living for? That's the world. You know, Paul referred to Christians as being said, he said this, there's three kinds of people exist in the world. There's the natural man, there's the carnal man, and there's the spiritual man. That's what he wrote to the Corinthians. He says, you're acting like mere men when they became a bit divisive with one another and having arguments and things. He says, you're acting like mere men. In other words, you've forgotten who you are. You're acting like the natural man. Some of them, he said, you're, you're carnal. He says, you can't take much in terms of deeper teaching. He says, so I have, to, I have to feed you milk and not solid meat. He says, you're acting like mere men. He says, in other words, you haven't grown up yet. 
You're still caught up with men and I follow this teacher and I follow that teacher and I'm part of this movement, I'm part of that movement. He says, listen, I betrothed you to one, to Christ. He says, where are you? It's strong stuff. And so then he draws this measuring line across their life. and says, are you a natural, are you just living as a natural man? Are you carnal? In other words, you're saved, but you're ruled by your fleshly instincts and passions. Or are you a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, learning to live by faith, living for eternity, walking in the Spirit, following Christ, and authentically representing Him to the world? Well, all of us are on a journey, aren't we, from the natural man to the spiritual man. We're somewhere in there. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Thank God He began a good work in us. He's going to continue it until that final day when we see him face to face. He's going to make us fully, finally like him. Aren't you glad he doesn't give up on us? <laughs> I'm glad he didn't give up on me. I, I would have given up on me a long time ago if, if I was Jesus. But he didn't give up on me. And he doesn't give up on us. Thank God. And he keeps working on us. Salvation is a past, present, future tense reality. Well, glory to God. Let's look at one other scripture here, and I just felt to, to minister this to you, and, I'm, and, and then I'm going to start to come into land. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. Well, why don't we just start this as Paul is really getting towards the end here, and in verse uh, 3 of 2 Timothy 1, he says this, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you. He's really pouring out his heart here. Being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. When he uses the word genuine, when our English Bible says genuine, the, the, um, the Greek says unhypocritical. And you know, well, the, the word, well, when, we, when we use in English the word hypocritical, comes from the Greek word Hippocrates. And a Hippocrates was a mask, a mask that people wore when they went into a, into a theater or they went to a party and they wanted to present themselves as something different than who they really are. Some people come to church that way, don't they? <laughs> you know what I mean. We, you know, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> you know, but actually there's a whole load of other stuff going on behind the scenes. Now there's a real place of faith to be, of course. Well, yes, I yeah, I'm doing great thing. I believe in God. I'm but there is another thing sometimes when sometimes people try to present themselves as something that they're not. And Paul says about Timothy, he had unhypocritical faith. In other words, he had the real thing. He was genuinely a man of faith. He was a believing believer. I want to just declare to you today, I speak this over you, that you are believing believers, unhypocritical believers, believers who believe the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Believe that you are who God says you are and that you can do what God says you can do. And Amen. Living for the King. That's what God is raising up here. It says, I recall to remembrance the unhypocritical faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Therefore, in other words, he says, in the light of that, in the light that you're a genuine believer, Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you. We stir up the gifts of God that are in us. He's, Paul says those gifts, and he used the word gifts, charisma. So it's directly speaking of a gift of the Holy Spirit that was imparted into him when Paul laid his hands on him together with the other elders of the church. When they laid hands on him, he refers to this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. And he says that when the elders laid hands on him, and Paul also was there and laid hands on him, there was a gift of the Spirit that was imparted to him to enable him him to fulfill his ministry. And in 1 Timothy 4, he says, don't neglect it, Timothy. And here in, in 2 Timothy 1, he says, stir it up. Stir it up. And I, and I, want, I want to say to you that, you know, before I came here, and back home in, in, in South Lincolnshire, and just praying for you guys, I had a sense of so many spiritual gifts that were in people in this church that Jesus was saying to you, 
Not only don't neglect it, but stir it up. Stir it up. Because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They don't go. They remain in you. Was there a time when you used to prophesy more? I know some of you did more. I just know it. I see it in my spirit. I, some of you moved more in the word of knowledge. Some of you used to be, you used to win more people to Christ. Some of you were a lot more bold than you used to be. Some of you used to, you know, step out for healing and miracles and casting out demons and all of that kind of stuff. You did a whole lot more of that than you do right now. And Jesus is saying to you, come on, stir up the gifts of God that are in you. Hands were laid on you. There was impartation of the Spirit to you. It's a very real thing, you know. I can remember having a guy lay hands on me. He had a powerful healing ministry. My goodness, when an evangelist called Steve Ryder from Australia. And Steve had established several churches that grew to 5,000 strong in Australia. But you know, he was Australia's second most wanted man. And he was in solitary confinement in prison. And Jesus walked through the walls. And showed him the New Testament in what looked like video form. And then he gets miraculously released from prison. He used to go into and break open banks and get gold bullion out, all kinds of stuff. So he's a natural risk taker anyway. But he gets miraculously released from that. When he gets out of prison, he's walking down the street and Christians come up to him, not knowing he's already saved. I mean, if Jesus walked into your room, you'd likely get saved, I guess. <laughs> and he already believes. And they came up to him and they're showing him passages from the scripture of miracles. He said, oh, I know all about that. They said, well, how do you know that? You were in solitary confinement. How do you know that? He said, well, Jesus showed it to me in a vision while I was in solitary confinement. And then he went to do his first mission in India. It's an absolute truth. Went to a blind school, cleared the whole school out. Everyone got healed. Everyone. The next day he went to a leper colony. He closed the colony down. Everyone was cleansed. Everyone. Very powerful ministry. When he laid hands on me, I was 19 years old. I can remember, I, I mean, I went straight down and it was like wave after wave after wave of God's power kept going, pulsing through my body for 48 hours. I couldn't sleep. I was zing. I felt like I was stuck into the, you know, into the electric circuits. Just couldn't sleep for 48 hours. Just buzzing with life. And anyone I touched was instantly healed. You talk about an impartation. It was a genuine impartation of the Spirit. But the thing about it is, is, is that, you know, Paul says to him now, stir up. Timothy, the gifts of God that are in you, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so I just want to say to you, believers here in Ivy, you do have a spirit of power. Believe it. Stir it up. Step out in it and you'll see it manifest. You have a spirit of power. You do have a spirit of love. And the thing that's so powerful about a spirit of love is it drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. To the measure that you experience and know the love of the Father is the measure to which you'll live free of fear. So you do have a spirit of power. You do have a spirit of love. And you do have the spirit of a sound, calm and well-balanced mind. As the Amplified puts it. It's inside your spirit. From the moment you receive Christ, you have a sound mind, a calm mind, a well-balanced mind. Amen. My goodness, your world changes, you guys. <laughs> it's true. So I heard these words, and so I'm going to share them with you. This phrase, speak out and don't doubt. Speak out and don't doubt. Jesus said, if you speak to the mountain and you believe that what you say will come to pass, you will have whatever you say. 
That is part of the mantra, if you like, of the believing believer. Speak out and don't doubt. Speak out and don't doubt. A people who release the kingdom of God through their words. Hebrews 1.3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. In Proverbs, in the word of a king, there is power. So God rules all things by his word. All that power over the face of the deep in Genesis. But nothing happens until God speaks the word. Then the spirit goes to bring it to pass. The psalmist said, you sent forth your word and your spirit and they were created. So the spirit is waiting for you to speak the word in faith. And then he goes to bring it to pass. Speak out and don't doubt. Faith connects you to the power of God. The wind is coming, the breath of God, to bring to life and to raise up a great army to take the city for Christ. She said earlier, structure without breath, without the power of the Spirit is not enough. We need the structure and we need the strategy, but it's the breath of God that makes the army stand up on her feet and able to march. It is the vision of the supernatural community. It's spot on. Go for it. And I just wanted to say this as I bring this into land. The time is right. The time is right. Put aside past discouragements and disappointments like an old garment. Rise up and enter into the promises by faith. Let me just give you two more scriptures. Um, just to, You can take it down and look at it in your own time for the sake of our time tonight. But Hebrews 3 and 4 and Joshua 1. Very timely words in many ways for you. Hebrews 3 and 4, the writer to the Hebrews is comparing the Christian life to the children of Israel entering into the promised land as a type or a picture of Christ and our inheritance in Christ. And it basically says this, it's a remarkable passage. And in this passage, he says that the children of Israel could not enter into the land even though... God had given it to them from before the foundation of the world. One preacher I heard once said this, For everything God has foreseen, he has seen for. In many ways, what came first, sin or salvation? Actually, salvation. Revelation 19 says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. So before sin was ever committed, God had already provided for it. Christ came with the fullness of time, of course, into the world. But in the mind of God, the sacrifice was already prepared. So God is not taken by surprise by anything. Anything. So God had given them the land, but there were giants in it. And instead of believing what God had promised, they judged it by the sight of their eyes. And because they judged by the sight of their eyes, I mean, Joshua and Caleb saw the same giants that the other ten saw. But they saw them through the lens of the promise of God instead of through the lens of fear. And so this is the day where the Lord is saying for you, this is the time, the promises He's given over you, spoken to you over many years, some of which you may need to dust off and pick up again and start to proclaim again and speak out again and go towards again in faith. Actually, he's saying those promises were given to you from before the foundation of the world. They're yours to possess. Don't be like those, that first generation. I had to wipe out a whole generation. Have you ever noticed God never changes his purpose, but sometimes has to change his personnel? <laughs> and so God looks for men and women of faith who will enter in and possess the land that God has for them. There are great things ahead of you. God is calling you as a people of faith to enter in to the land and possess the promises that are already yours. And that brings us to Joshua 1.8. To Joshua, when you, once you get to Joshua 1, it is the second time, to a whole generation later, it's the second time when the children of Israel come up to the edge of the promised land. Moses is dead. A new generation has come forth. And God says to Joshua, rise up, 
go in, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, tread upon, I have given it to you. That's that Hebrews 3 and 4. I've given it to you already, but you put your feet on it. Go in and take the land. Be bold. Be strong. You've not been this way before, but I'm taking you in. Meditate on my word day and night. Meditate means to, to talk to oneself. The world says talking to yourself is the first sign of madness, but in the kingdom is the first sign of gladness, isn't it? When you speak the word of God to yourself. I had to learn years ago, and I have to regularly remind myself to talk to myself. David spent a lot of time talking to his own soul. Come on, soul. Bless the Lord. Sometimes you've got to speak to yourself. John G. Lake, who found, of course, the healing movements, and they, oh, goodness me, five years, 3,000 churches planted across Southern Africa. He would get up in the morning, he'd put on his suit, he would look in the mirror and say, Suit, today God walks in you. <laughs> what a thing to say. But he was releasing his faith through his words. And he was calling his soul to believe. It's really important. So these are powerful, powerful principles of God. So I just want to really wrap up by saying, be bold. Ivy, be bold. Be strong. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Stay full of the word, knowing his presence is with you. Be the radical community of disciples he's called you to be. Back to the root Advancing the kingdom, living authentically for Jesus, loving one another, and advancing in the power of the Holy Spirit in the authority Christ has given you as ambassadors of Jesus. He's going to raise up a mighty army. Amen. So guys, look, that's, that's what was on my heart for you. And uh, I just want to, I mean, here we are, come to nine o'clock. I don't know what time you normally finish. But, so, but I'm just going to pray for you. I, I just... Can I say, by the way, just before I, I, I wrap this word up, it was really just what was on my, word, on my heart just to, to say to you. I just, um, I never like to preach without giving people the opportunity to give their life to Christ if they don't know the Lord. And I, I know this is mostly a believer's gathering. But, but is there anyone here who doesn't yet know that your sins are forgiven? And, and is anyone here who's not certain that they're going to heaven? But you want to be sure tonight that you're forgiven that you know Jesus and that you're going to heaven one day. Is there anybody like that today? Say, John, I don't really know the Lord. I don't know I'm forgiven. I want to know Christ. I want to accept what he did for me on the cross. Am I putting my faith in him? I'm going to ask Jesus to save me today. Is there anybody like that? We just put, just slip your hand up just quickly. Be privileged to pray for you. Anybody like that? Okay. If not... Okay, that's, we're just going to move on very quickly. What I am going to say is this. If you are saying today, Lord, count me in. I'm going to stir up the gifts of God. I'm going to enter in to what you are calling me to do. I'm going to take my place and I'm going to enter in by faith. I'm no longer going to let those old dreams die out back there. Instead of that, I stir them up afresh. God has not changed his mind. This is the time. Enter in. Put your hand to the plow and say, I'm going to rise up. I'm going to stir myself up. I'm going to go for it. And I'm believing the Lord to do greater things than he has ever done before in my life and through my life. Look, if you're doing that, you're saying, count me in. That's it. I'm, I'm just going to encourage you to be bold and to stand to your feet. And I'm going to pray for you for bold faith to enter into what God has for you. And it may be just a good thing to do is just to uh, reach out to the people around you and just rest a hand on their shoulder and pray for, as we pray this, as I pray for you, let's pray for a release of the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Look, we are entering a time in the church's existence in the United Kingdom today where more than at any other time in modern history, we are going to need to be firmly established in the truth of what we believe, what we know to be true, what the Scriptures teach, to stand with boldness and confidence for the truth of the Gospel and of the Word of God. We need to be standing in boldness to preach Christ to others and to really step up to what God is calling us to be and who he's calling us to be to advance his kingdom. 
And so right now, as I pray for you, you pray for your neighbors around you, for a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit, for boldness, for infilling, for fresh faith and encouragement into each heart. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you today, Lord, for Ivy Church. I thank you today for my brothers and sisters here. Father God, I thank you too for others who, who represent other churches around. Really, we're one church. Father God, the body of Christ. And we're standing here together. And Father, I pray, let your spirit come. Let your spirit in the sense of manifestation. We know you're already here. But Lord, manifest yourself. Lord, afresh upon each one of us. Filling each one of us afresh, Lord. With fresh boldness. With fresh conviction. With fresh confidence, Lord. In the gospel. In the power of God. Stripping away from us every lie. Every disappointment. Every bit of unbelief. We renounce unbelief. We repent of it. We turn away from that. We declare today that we are men and women of faith. We are men and women who believe God. We are men and women who return to radical discipleship, to follow Christ, and to raise up others to follow Christ. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for fresh boldness, fresh vision, fresh faith, fresh anointing, Lord, a stirring up of the gifts of God into each and every heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare today that this is a house of healing. I declare today that this is a house of signs and wonders. I declare this is an apostolic house. I declare this is a sending house, a raising up house, a house where fathers raise up sons and mothers raise up daughters. And Father God, I thank you that they shall reproduce and multiply at a remarkable rate. We thank you, Father, for the increase that comes from God. We declare that you will build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We declare that it is so, that Jesus' name shall be glorified in this company of your people and the fragrance of Christ spread abroad across this great city and not only this city but many others. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. Amen. Bless you.